early church father Athanasius says this, that the Bible speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. So while the rest of the Bible is God speaking to us, God gives us the Psalms in order to have the kind of language he wants to hear from his people. And Psalm 23 is a psalm, I think, that addresses the idea of fear, of fear. Um, There's this book that my children read called Be Brave, Little Penguin. And in it, the penguin is scared to get into the Arctic water because he's afraid. Of course he's afraid. And his mother tries to help him and is like, no, 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 what if there's beach balls? And what if there's cupcakes in a party? And I'm like, no, little penguin, do not be brave. There are seals in the water that will eat you, okay? Like, there are reasons that you should be afraid. (laughs) And I think the question for all of us as we face the world, maybe it's not seals, right, um, is uh, what are you afraid of this morning? We all have fears, and of course there are snakes and cockroaches, but there are deeper things we're afraid of, like time. Are we wasting the time that we've been given? Love, will we ever find it? Will we lose it when we do? Uh, The jobs, what job are we going to have for the rest of our life? Are we going to be able to pay the bills? Do we bring kids into the world? And if we do, how do we do that parenting thing? We all have fears. And Psalm 23 gives us the language that addresses us in our fears. And so as I read Psalm 23 and really the rest of the morning, I want you to have some situation in your life that you're afraid of. That causes fear and anxiety in your heart. That you think about when you go to bed at night, when you wake up. How does Psalm 23 address, address us and offer us in our fears? So please rise uh, for the reading of God's word. And hear now the good news of a God uh, who is with you in your fear. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in need. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup of wine overflows." Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. It's good, true, and beautiful, and given to you in love. Let me pray. Lord, do open our hearts and minds by your spirit in our fears to be still, to hear from you, and to know that you are God, and you still love us even in the midst of our fears. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. So I really, I think this passage gives us four things for us to remember in our fears. Four things. And again, it would be great if you had a specific thing in your mind, and how does this psalm address it? The first thing that this passage reminds us is that you actually have a good shepherd. You have a good shepherd. Because the lie that fear tells us is that fear makes you doubt that God is actually good. Like when you go through a hard time, fear tells you, yeah, maybe God isn't good. But if you look at verse 1 and 2, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in need. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. The Lord is my shepherd. It's personal pronoun. He's your shepherd. He knows you. He knows your name, your story, your needs, your fears. He knows your particular needs this morning. He's a good shepherd who knows his flock. And what I learned about sheep, uh, I'm not an agrarian person per se, 
But what I've read from others who are is that sheep uh, will not rest and they will not get off their feet and lie down unless they feel safe. If they feel threatened in any way, they will remain standing. But if they feel safe, they'll get off their knees and rest. And God is like, yeah, I'm a good shepherd. You can actually rest. (laughs) You're with me. And the other thing we read is that not only does he make them lie down in green pastures and lead them beside still waters, he restores their soul. Here's the thing about sheep, and I, the Bible says we're sheep. I don't know the correlation God's trying to make here, but sheep are kind of dumb, right? Okay, so sheep are not intelligent, and uh, what they'll do is that if they are afraid, the fear will paralyze them, and they will literally stay and die of hunger because they're so afraid, or they'll get skittish and wander off and get lost. And either in both of those situations, they will die if they don't have a guide, if they don't have a good shepherd to guide them. That we need a guide to know what we need. And the good shepherd leads his sheep from places of emptiness into places of fullness. And the thing is, is that in the arid climate in the ancient Near East, the grass in some places didn't just pop up everywhere, that it was hidden in cold places, in shady places, in caves, and shadows, and under rocks. And the sheep would miss it. They would walk right past the green gas, grass that was made for them because they're dumb, right? Unless the shepherd comes and shows them, no, 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 what you actually want is like right here. You see, the thing about fear is, is that it, fear leads our focus away from good things, and we focus on the wrong things. And this is what happens to us, right? The fear of being left out means it leads us to people-pleasing. The fear of failure means we never take a risk. The fear of being a nobody in the world means that we are a workaholic. The fear of not being pretty enough or desirable or attractive means we spend hours on our body and our Instagram pics. The fear of not having love means we perform around everyone so that we can get that love. Fear always leads us away from what we actually need and want, which is Jesus. Because a good shepherd wants, you have a good shepherd who wants to actually give you good things. He really does. And this is why we read in John 10 that he lays down his life for you. So I want to encourage you that the lie that God isn't good is not true. You have a good shepherd who wants to give you good things. And so whatever that fear is, you can say to yourself, no, 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 I have a good shepherd. I have a good shepherd. He wants to give me good things. But secondly, in our fears, this passage reminds us that we have to face the darkness. We have to face the darkness because the lie that we believe and we're afraid is, uh, it's better if I minimize it or if it's better if I ignore it or if it's better if I just avoid it and don't even think about it. Um, like my seven-year-old daughter who when she, I don't know, does something wrong, you know, uh, and I'm like, hey, we got to talk about this. And she puts her hand over her ears, screaming, runs away, and says, I don't want to talk about it, right? Uh, does she slam the door? Maybe. I don't know. Um, she doesn't hear it because her hands are over her ears. But we, we, we have to face the darkness. And even though that's a child, we all do it in our own way. There's this book called The Yearling. And uh, in it, it's about a boy who really becomes a man. He's a 12-year-old boy. They live on a farm in Florida, and um, he adopts a pet deer who is abandoned by his mother, a yearling. And over the course of the year, the yearling grows up, just like it's a metaphor for the boy who grows up. And um, what happens, though, is that eventually the deer starts to eat all of their crops. And the dad is like, we've got to shoot the deer or we're not going to be able to live. And the boy gets mad at his dad and runs away. And for three weeks, he's homeless, he's starving, and he comes finally back home after facing death, and this is what his dad says to him. 
You've seen how things go in the world of men. You've known men to be low down and mean. You've seen old death at his tricks. You've messed around with old starvation. Every man wants life to be a fine thing and easy. Tis fine, boy, powerful fine, but taint easy. Life knocks a man down and he gets up and it knocks him down again. I've been uneasy all my life. And then he says this. I've wanted life to be easy for you. Easier than it was for me. A man's heart aches seeing his youngins face the world, knowing they got to get their guts tore out the way his was tore. I wanted to spare you long as I could. I wanted you to frolic with your yearling. I know the lonesomeness he eased for you, but every man's lonesome. And what's he to do then? What's he to do when he gets, his, gets knocked down? Well, I take it for a share and go on. And what you realize, what he says so powerfully, is that everyone in this world is going to have to face the darkness. We just are. And here's the thing about the Bible. It, it's not naive at all. In verse 4, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk, it is a present tense. I will, I will walk through the valley of deep darkness. It's inevitable. The Bible knows that. And what's so interesting is that in our passage, in the first three verses, our good shepherd leads us to good things like grass and still waters. And then in verse 4, the good shepherd is leading us into the darkness. And when you think about the darkness, right, you meditate on it. Uh, if you ever have been in complete darkness, it's disorienting. You can't see. There's a fear of the unknown. What else is in there with you? You're lost. You feel like you're wandering. And the reason Jesus in Psalm 23 invites us to face the darkness is because it's really easy for fear to control us, isn't it? And, and God doesn't want fear to control us. Because if you fear, I mean, you never take risks. You never try. And you never love. Because all love really is a risk <laughs> that which should fill us with anxiety and fear. But anything that matters in life requires you to face your fears. Even uh, my six-year-old son, Peter, when he was going to his baseball, first baseball game, and last year he had one practice and COVID canceled it. So he got to go to his first game this year, and I was like, how are you feeling? He's like, I'm excited. He's like, yeah, I'm nervous. I'm afraid. I'm like, well, why are you afraid? He goes, what if I strike out? Now look, he didn't, by the way. He got a hit. It was awesome. Um, but uh, I love him no matter what. Anyway, um, but here's the thing, right? Like, fear stops us from doing things that matter, from asking a girl out, from asking someone to marry us, from going to a job interview, from experiencing God's world, from accomplishment. Like, fear will stop you from doing things in the world. But we have to face the darkness not only because God doesn't want fear to control us, but also because darkness is real. It's just real. And to avoid it and to ignore it and to minimize it is to avoid and to ignore and to minimize reality. That's the point. Like, there will be cancer. There are addictions. There is war. There is sex trafficking and miscarriages and heartbreak. And you will get fired. And you will get passed over from jobs. Like, all the darkness and fear that we face in life is real. And we have to, under, we have to, we wonder in ourselves, God, do you see us? Do you care? Are you with us, Right? Because as we face the darkness, we can say, I have a good shepherd who loves me, but also, I've got to face this. And what do, you, what do you, we need when we face the darkness? Light, light is good, right? It's good to have light in the darkness, but so is, so is the presence of someone else. Our passage, Jesus is the light of the world, but what our passage offers us in our fear is not just light, but he, he offers us his presence. And that's the third thing we see. That in your fears, this psalm wants to remind you that Jesus is with you. 
He's with you right now. Because what the lie of fear tells us is that we're alone. No one understands what we're going through. We're all alone. But if you read in verse 4, he goes, I will fear no evil for you, for you are with me. You're with me. Counselor John Cox calls with, the preposition with, the most powerful word in the universe. With the most powerful ability to heal. The word with. This is why in Scripture the most common command that God gives his people is to not be afraid. Not because there's not dark things, but because the most common promise in the Scripture is, because I'm with you. Don't be afraid, not because like, it's not real. No, don't be afraid because I'm with you. He was with Abraham when he left his country to a place he had never seen. He was with Joseph when he was in the prison in the basement of Potiphar's house. He was with Moses as Moses, with the speech impediment, goes to speak for God to the most powerful man in the world. And he was with Zechariah and God's people when they were in exile, and he prophesied, God is with you. He's coming on the mount of a donkey. And even he's with those shepherds in Luke 2, those shepherds who are with the sheep, when the angels show up and they're like, hey, don't be afraid. I'm with you, and you know what? You can actually go see me right now. <laughs> I'm in this manger. And this is what God says to you right now in your fears. He says, I'm with you when you move and you're afraid. I'm with you when you lose friendships and relationships fall apart. I'm with you as you fight with your kids or you fight with your parents. I'm with you in your financial trouble. I'm with you as your kids grow up and you have to let them go. I'm with you when you're depressed and anxious for months and years on end. I'm with you when the grass is good and the water is still, and I'm with you when things are dark and you can't find a way out. I'm with you. And what Jesus does with us in the darkness is first he reorients us back to him. If you notice, this is what the rod and the staff are all about. He goes, I know you're with me. And how does he know? Well, your rod and your staff are with me. You see, the rod, and when the sheep would go into the darkness and they would like go off the ledge or they would go towards danger, the shepherd, a good shepherd, would whack them with the rod and hurt them, right? But it was in order to get them away from where they were going to get their focus back on him. Who hit me? Rod? Okay, I'm dumb, sheep. Okay, you know, shepherd. It was, the, it was actually to reorient them back to focus on Jesus, their good shepherd, in the darkness. Um, I had a, a campus minister who was out in California, had a student at Stanford who was blind. And the way that this blind student was able to get around campus is that if he had someone just take him to the front steps of the library and face this way, it reoriented him to the entire campus and he could get anywhere from the front steps of the library. And this is what Jesus does with his rod in the darkness. That Jesus reorients us and says, here, I'm here, and now you know where you're at and who you are. But secondly, Jesus in the darkness doesn't just reorient us, he comforts us. He comforts us. Because, okay, what do you want when you're afraid? I mean, I think you want someone to hold you. Now, maybe that's my Enneagram 4 self. That's fine. I don't care. I like it, you know. But we want people to be with us when we're afraid. Uh, apparently, our glucose levels take six times more energy to recover when our body is activated from an experience by ourselves than if someone else we trust is with us. Six times more energy to recover on your own than when someone is with you. Um, I, when we moved here, uh, it was crazy with COVID and the ministry and moving in a new house. And my wife and I and kids and family, we were having one of those weeks, right, that are not good, where you don't really want to talk to each other, but you have to. And we're fighting, and um, 
there's this moment where I was like, I don't even know where to begin. And we were laying on our beds. And we were just like, I don't even know what to say. Because we were just like so upset and frustrated and afraid. And somehow our hands met in the middle of the bed. And next thing I know, our fingers were interlocked. And we didn't say a word. And I don't know how long we did that. But I was like, okay, we're going to get through this because I'm not alone. It's the power of, of comfort, knowing you're not alone. And in verse 4, there's one other way that you're comforted with a rod and a staff. They comforted the sheep because that rod and staff wasn't just to whack the sheep when they were going off the wrong way. It also was to fight the enemies of the sheep, the wolves and the lions and the bears. You see, uh, what would happen when they would come is that the sheep would step in between the sheep and the enemy with his rod and his staff. And he would fight for his sheep. So when you're afraid and you doubt that God is good, God reminds you that he's a good shepherd who loves you and has given everything you need. And when fear tells you just to avoid the darkness and it'll go away, God reminds you, no, I don't want fear to control you, but you got to face it. And you got to face it because fear will make you think that you're alone. And Psalm 23 says, no, 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 I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> and I have a rod and a staff to prove it, which goes to our last point. In our fears, what's good to be reminded is that the darkness doesn't win. It doesn't win. The lie is that when you're going through a hard time, is this is how it's always going to be. Um, I've been, I binge-watched the show Ted Lasso about a month ago. I couldn't stop. I mean, I just, I ignored everyone. Johnny, just get your own water. Um, and I watched it, and here's the thing about Ted Lasso. If you haven't seen the show, it's an American football coach who gets hired for a European soccer or football uh, program. And um, in it, he, like, obviously doesn't know anything about it, but he, he believes, he's, he's a great culture builder, and he just, like, has unbelievable amount of hope, right? And one of the things they called him because he kept losing, the fans called him wanker which I could have just cussed right now. I don't really know. It's a British thing. I'm not sure. And so well, there's one scene where they chant wanker from the stands after they lose again. But there's one scene where he's walking into, like, the neighborhood bar or restaurant or something, and this old guy goes, hey, wanker, don't, don't screw up the game Saturday, you know? And, and Ted Lasso goes, thank you very much. I won't, you know, I'll try not to. Thank you for your support. And when you watch Ted Lasso, you just believe that he's going to win out in the end. You're just, you're pulling for him. Look, I'm not saying Ted Lasso is a type of Christ. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am trying to say is, if you read verses 5 and 6, in verse 4 you're in the darkness, and in verse 5 and 6 it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's oil, there's wine, it's a feast, there's goodness and mercy. And what you realize is that the good shepherd dies in verse 4. There's a death in verse 4, the valley of the shadow of death. And in verse 5 and 6, there's a resurrection. They come out of the valley of death into a feast of life and light. Christ fights for you to his death. And he puts himself in between you and the darkness. And he says, you go on, I got this. And he heads into the darkness with his rod and his staff. And the image in verse 5 is that Jesus comes out of the valley of the shadow of death with blood dripping down his head and his arms, bruised and beaten. And on his leash are bears and wolves and all of the enemies of the sheep. He's conquered them. In the historical context, when you would beat an enemy, you would then have a feast and have them sit in front of you and watch you gloat over them and drink to defeating them. 
That's the image that David gives us. And the only way that this works, this only way that this image works, is that Christ has conquered our fears through the death and the resurrection. It's the only way. Or else this doesn't make sense. That Jesus was afraid in the garden, but he's not a hired hand who runs away, right? He's a good shepherd who faces the darkness for us and lays down his life. And while we try to minimize and avoid our fear, Jesus faces it for us and with us. And while we feel alone in our fears, Jesus actually was alone in his fears. He was abandoned. And our fears and our sins and our anxieties and the evil of the world swallowed Jesus up on the cross, covered him, and threw him into a tomb, into death. But what the gospel resurrection story says is that Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. That there was a resurrection three days later. The tomb is empty. That fear is not the end of our story. Death is not the end of the story, but Jesus is. And he leads us out of the dark valley to a feast, either in this life or in the next. That's the point. Without the resurrection hope, everything we go through is meaningless. (laughs) That's what we have to cling to. And so I hope, as an encouragement to you all, I hope resurrection prez is uh, still waters for you. I hope it's a place of green pastures. I hope Jesus makes you feel like you can rest and secure in him. And I hope that Psalm 23 reminds you that you really do have a good shepherd who has fought for you. You don't have to prove yourself to the world. You don't have to conquer your own fears. Jesus has faced the darkness, and he is with you even now. And what the gospel tells us is that the darkness doesn't win. In the end, the darkness doesn't win, and that's what we have to put our faith in, the resurrection. That's what we have to put our faith in. And as a church, I pray that as we continue to try to follow Jesus together, we would remind each other of those realities. Because it's so easy, it's so easy to forget. The darkness is real, but so is light. And fear is real, but so is love. And perfect love drives out our fear. Um, I'm going to conclude with this. And again, this this is like a small example, but it accents, I feel like, the reality of this passage. Uh... Have you guys heard of Dollywood? So there's this thing called Dollywood, and there's a sister amusement park called um, Silver Dollar City. We lived in Arkansas. It was an hour and a half from us. We would go up to it in Branson, Missouri, Vegas of the Midwest, okay? And um, we would go there, and there was a ride called Fire in the Hole. And the Fire in the Hole, it's pretty simple. You basically ride very slowly in the darkness, and everything is scary, and it's for children, this ride. And as you do that, you eventually go fire in the hole, and you drop like 30 feet at like 100 miles per hour. Everyone's crying. The kids are crying. The parents are trying not to cry for the kids. And then you come out on the other side, and that's the end of the ride. And you're like, who created a ride like this? Well, we were about to get on it, and Peter at this time was four or five, but he was tall enough to go on it. So, um, And we're like, no, dude, you got to go. And he's afraid again, right? He's afraid. And so I get down, I look at him, like, hey, I know you're afraid, but I'm going to be with you. It's going to be okay. And he's like, okay, you know. I'm like, you can suck your thumb, it's fine. And so we get onto the ride, and we're all people and light, and it's wonderful. And then we start to move. And it's like we're in the very back, so you see shadow, 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 right? Like people are disappearing into the darkness. And then Peter reaches over and grabs my hand, and that's how we go off into the darkness together. And we made it out to the other side. Now look. For that four-year-old boy, that was the scariest thing he could do. And yet now he knows that his dad was with him and he made it to the other side. You're going to face dark things in this world. 
but the good news of the gospel, of the hope of the resurrection, is that in the end, hope, hope will triumph over our fears. Jesus is raised to new life now, and darkness and sin and fear will not have the last word. So in your fears, I do pray that we would, as it says in here, re- remember that the Lord is my shepherd, shall not be in need. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters, and he does restore my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I will walk through the valley of deep darkness, the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil. God, for you're with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you'll prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So you anoint my head with oil and give me a cup of wine that overflows. Because only goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this passage. Uh, I do pray that we're a people that give our fears to you. Uh, Lord, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of so many things. Uh, And I don't have the faith always to believe what this psalm says. But I pray that you would meet all of us who doubt right now, all of us who are afraid, that you are a good shepherd who loves us, you've laid down your life for us, and even now you're with us. Uh, It's in your name we pray, amen.